Welcome to this episode of Disease Du Jour podcast on the topic of equine reproduction with Bryant Craig, DVM. I'm your host, Kim Brown, publisher of Equimanagement. The Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you in 2021 by Merck Animal Health. Dr. Craig is a senior equine professional services veterinarian with Merck Animal Health. He's cared for some of quarter horse racing's top horses during his veterinary career. Prior to joining Merck Animal Health, Dr. Craig owned and operated a private equine veterinary practice for six years in central Oklahoma before joining a top quarter horse ranch as resident veterinarian in 2005. While there, Dr. Craig oversaw an average of about 1,000 breedings per year, and that included about 400 embryo transfers and foaling out about 300 mares, plus caring for some of quarter horse racing's premier stallions, including an all-time leading living sire. In addition to the ranch's reproductive services, Dr. Craig also oversaw the health, fitness, and nutrition program for the ranch's sale horse operation. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Craig. Thanks for having me, Kim. Always enjoy the interaction. Looking forward to this morning. Well, and I'm looking forward to picking your brain a little bit, so maybe some of your colleagues can uh, pick up on some of your experiences during their upcoming breeding and foaling seasons, because as this podcast is being published, it's the middle of November and plans for the 2022 breeding and foaling season are, are like well underway. So, Dr. Craig, what is the focus this time of year on a breeding farm? So this time of year, you know, we're wrapping up the sale season. And so um, lots of horses have changed hands. So you, you may have new broodmares coming in to, to farms that we don't have a history on um, new stallions uh, finding a new a different home so a lot of focus goes into just gathering history on those horses seeing what problems they may have or what their produce record is and then kind of coming up with a plan of attack so to speak um, once spring gets here because um, even though we we haven't hit thanksgiving yet breeding season is just around the corner and it always seems to come a little quicker than we expect. Boy, that's the truth. Um, so let's let's maybe break it down just a little bit and let's start with that all-time favorite, the maiden mare, getting her ready for breeding season. So there's actually some things starting to go on in November. There are. So, uh, you know, a lot of those mares are coming off the track or, or out of a performance career. And so the first thing I like to do is just a nice overall physical examination you know make sure we don't have any lameness issues uh, check their plane of nutrition we don't want them super thin or super obese coming into breeding season so we may need to alter that nutrition plan on those gals and then you know check that perineal conformation and make sure we don't see any large issues i like to do an ultrasound exam um, you know depending on the mare where she lives and what she's been doing the ovaries may not be all that active this time of year as they're easing into transition, but if we can catch a mare, possibly an estrus, um, then I'll take the opportunity to perform a culture cytology and see what we may have um, going on in that uterus. Well, those are that's a good tip on that. And I know some of those maiden mares this time of year, one of our maiden mares, is she's she's been in heat this last month. So, hey, that it's a good thing to check. Okay, and, yeah. and what, what about getting some of these mares under lights? So under lights is a 
used in most parts of the country um, when we're in a commercial breeding situation and we're trying to get that foal born as close to that January 1 date as we can. And so, you know, Thanksgiving is a marker for a lot of people to start lights. It's Thanksgiving's a little later this year, so we may want to start ahead a week ahead of Thanksgiving, but generally want to have 90 days of light um, for those mares in, in order to see that benefit of earlier season estrus. And that's always good news for the stallion owners when they can get some of those mares in early, especially the maidens that may have to be there more than once. You bet. Yep. It certainly helps the book if we can get to a lot of those mares covered in February. Um, is And then <clears throat> as the mares carrying foals, started coming into the breeding shed, you know, in, in heavier numbers in late February and March, um, then we don't have quite the traffic jam. Yeah, and that, that's always good for your uh, for your stallion's book. So let's talk about those foaling mares a little bit. So this time of year, they're just pretty much hanging out. And what are you looking at as far as their records, their health, getting everything planned for next year? So in those mares, you know, not all that different than the maiden mares um, outside of the the cultures and cytologies in that want to make sure that nutrition plane is correct. Um, don't want them overly obese going into foaling. Um, and conversely, we don't want them thin either. So just make sure they're in a good plane of nutrition, but somewhere between a four and a six body condition if possible. And then you know, review that health record, make sure the vaccinations are up to date. You know, we're coming into our last round of <clears throat> rhino shots for most of those mares, depending on what time they were bred last spring. Um, you know, we want to make sure that deworming protocol is is up to date and then start planning for that pre-foaling event. So, you know, 30 to 45 days prior to foaling, we want to get that round of vaccinations in to, to boost their colostral immunity. Uh, check cassocks on those mares, make sure we uh, have those opened up uh, about a month ahead of time, um, and just do an overall wellness exam. Um, again, cover any lameness issues that might be present, make sure their feet are in good shape. And then, you know, believe it or not, we need to check and make sure they're still in full. I've had several instances over my career where an owner brings a mare in for full watch, and we put her in the stocks and she's fat and happy, but there's no baby in the uterus. So um, those <clears throat> late term abortions can sneak up on people. You know, a lot of times those mares are kicked out in the pasture and an abortion can occur and we never know it. So always want to make sure they're in full because we don't want to put a mare with uh, no baby under full watch. Boy, that's the truth. And I've, I've seen a lot of those, uh, Chunky mares fool some people, especially if they've been out in a several hundred acre pasture with a bunch of other mares. Absolutely. Okay, and let's talk about, I know you've got a lot of experience with embryo transfer, and that's a little different animal when you're, when you're considering these mares for embryo transfer as well as the recipient mares and getting semen. It is. So it adds a whole nother layer of complexity in that, um, you know, this time of year, if, if we know we're going to do embryo transfers, we need to get lined up with a donor mare. So, you know, whether you're going to use a service for that, you know, there's several great embryo transfer stations around the country um, that will facilitate that or, you know, go through <clears throat> 
and use mares available on the farm. We need to get all those logistics lined up and make sure everybody's aware and contracts are signed and everything is in order before the spring gets here. Because especially the last couple of years, uh, breeding has hit its stride again and recipient mares are in short supply. So we don't want to get caught with without a contract and um, maybe get stuck with an embryo that we don't have anywhere to go with. Um, one thing that's really made a lot of progression in the last several years, though, is embryo vitrification or freezing. So that does give us an option. If we don't have a recipient mare, we can freeze that embryo and hold it until that time becomes available. Or, you know, if we want to try for, if it's late in the season and we want to try to get an early fall, we can wait till next year and, and put that vitrified embryo into a recipient early in the season for the next year. So lots of lots of layers of complexity there, but the biggest thing is get the planning done and then get your stallion contracts in place. So, you know, a lot of those embryo donor mares that are at the, the higher end of their discipline are going to be bred to more than one stallion. So we need to make sure we have all those things lined up. And maybe talk to some of the vets out there who haven't really done a lot of embryo transfer, but work with some top, whether it's a performance mare or racing mare. Um, what are some of the reasons that you might consider, whether health or performance, for using embryo transfer? So, you know, back to the the wellness issue, if I've got a mare with a significant lameness problem that I don't feel is conducive to carrying a foal, um, that would be one reason I would think about it. So, you know, say we've got a mare with a bad stifle or maybe laminitic, something like that, that the extra weight could be a burden on her. Embryo transfer is a great option for those girls. Uh, you know, if we've got a mare that's still performing well in whatever discipline, embryo transfer is perfect for them. We can generally get them in the breeding shed, be there for two to three weeks, flush an embryo and then get them back out on their performance circuit. And, you know, depending on where that breeding shed is or vet clinic, we can a lot of times keep them in training while that's going on. So we don't really lose all that much time and we may miss a competition or two, but outside of that, um, things go pretty smoothly. And those mares are generally pretty fertile. They're young and healthy and um, have really good success there. Uh, and then the other reason would be if, as I referenced earlier, if we want to breed them more than one stallion, so we want more than one foal out of that mare in a particular season, um, that gives us the option of, of multiple foals from the same mare in one season. And that, that's a good tip for those. And let's um, maybe while we're talking about that, what about some of the newer technologies in equine reproduction like ICSI? Today's Disease Du Jour podcast is brought to you by Merck Animal Health's Regimate, Alternogist. When it comes to delivering safe, predictable control over a mare's reproductive cycle, nothing compares to Regimate. Tried and true, Regimate is proven with 30 years of results and more than 50 million doses sold. That's something no generic can claim. Regimate is contraindicated for use in mares having a previous or current history of uterine inflammation. Review proper use and safe handling of Regimate. Avoid skin contact. Pregnant women or women who suspect they are pregnant should not handle this product. 
For complete safety information, read label. So ICSI has come a long, long ways in the last 10 years and is gaining in commercial viability. There's several places uh, around the country um, that, that do it commercially now. It was, it was basically a <clears throat> research-based procedure, you know, 10, 12 years ago, and, and we've made lots and lots of headway there. Uh, it's a great procedure for, you know, like this time of year um, where the mares aren't maybe cycling as well, we can still recover some oocytes. Um, if we've got a mare that we just can't recover an embryo, but she is forming follicles and we can aspirate an oocyte from them, um, it's, a, it's a great alternative. And so something that's, that's really made a lot of strides, still pretty expensive. So it's um, kind of secluded to that top tier of mares, but something that in, in coming years has become more and more commercially viable. You know, and the other thing that I've already mentioned that <clears throat> is very helpful too is that embryo vitrification or freezing um, a lot of times we'll use that in conjunction with ICSI or just with an embryo transfer and that gives us a lot of flexibility as as far as time of year and you know obtaining those recipient mares when we need them and just out of curiosity, I know uh, my daughter and I each lost a really nice mare this year unexpectedly um, there are ways to use this to basically stockpile some embryos from really good mares just in case there is uh, an untoward event in the future. Correct. And, and in the case of a, a mare um, that loses their life early or unexpectedly, you know, we can harvest oocytes sometimes from that mare um, post-mortem if, if we do it in the right time frame, and those can be utilized in an ICSI procedure as well. So it uh, gives us lots of options there. Um, the the oocyte retrieval and then vitrification of those embryos um, would fit right in that scenario. Yeah, and that's good. And is there anything else, Dr. Craig, that you would like to talk about on the female side of the reproduction year that's coming up? You know, one thing that, and we're still learning a lot about it, um, but the the uterine and <clears throat> just overall reproductive microbiome has started to gain a lot of attention in the last couple of years um, between um, bacterial culture and cytology and next generation sequencing and um, PCR diagnostics. We're learning more and more that the uterus isn't necessarily a sterile environment. Um, there are commensal bacteria that are beneficial to that overall reproductive health. So look for a lot of research to come in the next few years centered around that. And as we figure out, you know, what are the good and bad bacteria and, and what can we do to, to foster a, a better environment? So I'm um, looking forward to, to learning about that. But like I said, there's um, we're just tapping into that that vast database. Yeah, the microbiome is is a fascinating new realm of study in all areas of equine health and human health and other animal health. But I'm I'm really looking forward to learning more about that. Um, so let's turn our attention now to the boys. So stallion management going into the breeding season. This time of year, you've usually got a little bit of a chunky boy standing out, not doing a lot. Correct. You know they've they've had a, a couple months off, although. Uh, 
you know, in the, like in the quarter horse world, sometimes those, those boys get a little more work, um, breeding Southern hemisphere mares up in North America for a time. And then in the thoroughbred world and quarter horse world as well, you know, we, we have those dual hemisphere guys. So those, they don't get much of a break, but the ones that are just breeding up in North America, you know, they've been kicked out for the summer. Um, and so again, kind of like on the mares, we want to make sure everything's in order going into breeding season. It's a great time of year to, to make sure they're up to date on all their vaccinations. The deworming protocol is in place and that we don't have any lameness issues with these guys as well. Um, you know, it's, it's critical to keep them sound. So whether they're mounting a dummy or actually <clears throat> jumping a mare, we need that soundness to be at the peak. So checking in on all that is of utmost importance this time of year. Yeah, that's uh that's a good point. So what let, let's look at those two kind of different classifications of stallions. So if if you've got a stallion that's pretty hard work and he's doing northern and southern hemisphere coverings, whether it's AI or he's been on a plane traveling back and forth, what are some of the things as he's coming back home, probably in late November or December, to get ready for that January, February start of the breeding season? So the big, big focus there is going to be body condition, you know, make sure they haven't lost too much condition because they've been working so hard. Um, and if they are, you know, get them on a good plane of nutrition going into breeding season. Um, and then reviewing the history of their breedings. If, if they were in South America or, or if they stayed up here, um, a good review of their breeding history, you know, their semen numbers, mares number of mares bred those kind of things and we can a lot of times tell a lot from just reviewing the history on that stallion's breeding book and and let's let's toss out a maybe a little challenge number here what what were you always striving for uh based you know covers per stallion to get a mare pregnant so that's that's a pretty simple number um one <laughs> would be the best um <laughs> If we can, if the the more we can limit that mare's exposure to semen, the the better off it is for everybody involved. So, um, you know, it's going to be easier on that stallion if he's if he's breeding mares one time. Much easier on the mare, uh, much better for her reproductive tract. The fewer times we have to go in there, the better, and then better for the owner. Um, you know, we. Uh, per cycle expenses can mount up, so th the fewer cycles that that mare has to go through that we have to perform all the procedures necessary um, the better it is for them and at the end of the season better for the stallion owner because it it allows us to get more mares bred yeah that's that's a good point there but realistically because we all know you're not going to cover every mare on get her pregnant on one cover what what is generally what you're looking for you know i don't i don't like to average more than one and a half to two cycles per pregnancy um obviously you know as we get later into the season or depending on how many um foaling mares that we're breeding that number can vary a little bit but but one and a half to two is an attainable goal and um and something that that i would always strive for you know when you throw in the complexity of shipping cooled semen um oh. that can add another layer to it uh, wow. but, if, but if on the farm we can do one and a half to two uh, i'm happy I can't tell you how many million semen have died uh, in the sun in the airport with a 
trying to ship semen. <laughs> okay, and for those uh, for those uh, stallions that are staying home, and again, we had talked about you, you had mentioned making sure that they're uh, going through their soundness exams, lateness exams, nutrition, vaccinations. Anything else with these stallions that they're, you're bringing back? Do you, you know test breeding? And what about the new stallions that you've got coming in, getting them used to the routine? So if, you know, if I have the availability of some mares in heat or a jump mare that I can collect those stallions this time of year, I, I like to, uh, especially on the new stallions, maybe coming off the track so we can see what we're dealing with, uh, get a good ultrasound examination of the testes, make sure all looks well there. Um, but that can be tough, um, you know, as we get into the short days, colder weather, the uh, mares don't cooperate quite as well and, and stallions don't either. So um, we may be a little bit limited possible. I do like to get some samples, take a peek, um, do cultures on that semen, make sure nothing is brewed in that semen um, while they were away or over the summer. And then get prepared for that next spring. Um, you know, the other thing that I, I really like to do this time of year is a good dental examination. I'm not sure I mentioned that, but uh, this is a great time of year to get the teeth floated and, and make sure we don't have any issues there so they doesn't affect their nutrition. And that's for stallions and mares. Yes. Yep. So Dr. Craig, so when you're looking at uh you know, a, an older stallion that maybe his conception rate is waning, or you've got a stallion that's maybe had a questionable history of not getting quite as many mares in full as you would like. What are some of the things that you could do to help that stallion? So that's that's a great question. And we have a lot of tools available these days in the form of analytics, you know, looking at different semen characteristics, um, and then semen processing. So centrifugation with or without a cushion and, and filter can do a lot to improve a stallion's fertility. Um, and then, you know, in the world of thoroughbreds where we're doing all live cover, uh, looking at a reinforcement breeding um, can be a great tool for those horses that are maybe losing some capacity or even a young horse that hadn't co quite caught their stride yet, um, we can help them out while that fertility develops. And I'm gonna ask one last question here that I'm, I'm, I may catch you a little off guard here, but in the thoroughbred industry, as, as you were just talking about, after you've got these stallions making so many live covers toward the end of the season, they get a little tired of headed to the breeding shed. So do you have any, uh, recommendations of things that you have discovered over the years that'll kind of help these stallions to want to go willingly to the breeding shed and do their job? You know, the biggest thing, and it's it's pretty simple stuff, is just, you know, making sure they've been on a good exercise regimen coming into breeding season and then maintaining some of that, you know, letting them have some turnout time or, or controlled exercise is is very important for their mental health and then a proper nutrition program i mean i can't stress enough just keeping those guys on a good plane of nutrition um, there are some specific reproductive supplements out there that have shown a lot of promise in seminal characteristics and parameters so i would i would look at that um, 
<clears throat> and then just making sure that we're limiting those covers as much as possible. So, you know, always striving for that goal of, of one cover per pregnancy. That's great. Well, and as you mentioned, it seems like uh, the, the breeding world, especially on the quarter horse side, has really picked up in the last year or so. And so we, uh, we wish everyone a great breeding season for 2022. Is there anything else that you would like to add? I just thank you for having me and uh, look forward to the spring coming and um, wish everybody good luck as, as we make those preparations and get ready to roll um, come January 1st. Yep, always look forward to one of my favorite times of the year. So thank you, Dr. Craig, for joining me on this episode of Disease Du Jour. And thank you to our audience for listening. And a special thanks to our 2021 sponsor, Merck Animal Health. We invite you to listen other episodes of Disease Du Jour on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And if you have any questions or suggestions, you can send me an email to kbrown at equinenetwork.com. Disease Du Jour is a production of the Equine Podcast Network, an entity of the Equine Network, LLC.